Thanks for checking out the Southcrest Church Podcast. We are one church meeting in two locations in South Atlanta. You can find us online at southcrest.church, where you can listen to our past sermons, watch our 4G stories, and learn more about who we are. Let's prepare our hearts to hear a word from God today. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Hey, good to see you this morning. You guys look amazing. Look at the person next to you and say, you look good today, okay? That was awkward. (laughs) But some of you go, hey, I might have a chance of getting a date here. The truth is, I am so glad that you're here today. Thanks for coming and being a part of us here at Southcrest. I want to welcome both of our campuses. We're live between LaGrange and Noon. And I want us to give a big shout out to our creative arts team and our band. Yeah. Man, seeing Joseph Hamilton play some nasty slide guitar on stage is amazing. And so I just want to tell you, man, I love my church because I love that we can come in here and be real about issues. Everything we talk about is going to be about truth and it's going to be about real life. We're not here to plastic coat anything. We're here to speak the truth. And so if you came somewhere where you wanted a plastic church, I'm sorry, we're not that church. It's just going to be real today and it's going to be fun. We're starting a new series called On the Money and some of you are already excited. We have any hunters in the house? Anybody hunt? Yeah, I mean, we're in Georgia, right? I mean, some of you, you walked in and you saw this and you started salivating because it's bow season, right? And you're ready to shoot something. And uh, listen, don't shoot anything while I'm up here, okay? Because chances are you'll kill the pastor. But I want to say this, this has a lot to do with what we're going to be talking about the next couple of weeks. So this represents what our life looks like when we live our life on the money. Now, that phrase on the money, you saw the pictures there as we started today. Somebody goes up and they hit a baseball or they throw a pass or they run a play or they sing a song. And we use an idiom a lot to explain what somebody does. And we say, wow, man, that that at bat was on the money. Like that pass was on the money. That person sang that song and that song was on the money. The next couple of weeks, next three weeks, we're going to talk about how we can live our life on point and how we can live on the money. And let me tell you today, I mean, because we need to celebrate this. Today's the day we always hand out our annual church report. It explains what you guys did and what we did through our generosity and how God took every dollar and used it to change people's lives. And so I tell people all the time, this is like a yearbook. So if you want me to sign your yearbook after the service, you come find me. I told Matt the other day, I said, hey, Matt, would you sign my yearbook? And he said, Pastor, that's awkward. I don't know what I would write, okay? So I'm glad you're here today on the, the, first, uh, the first of this series. It's going to be amazing because we're going to talk about how we take what we have, the possessions we have, and how we can live on the money. So that phrase, on the money, it's an idiom. How many of you guys know what an idiom is? You say, no, Sean, I don't know what, I know what an idiot is. I'm sitting next to one, okay? No, 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 not an idiot, an idiom. Okay, an idiom is this. It's a phrase or a fixed expression that has a figurative or something uh, that we think is a literal meaning. It's a mode of expression. And our life is full of idioms. Not idiots, idioms. Okay? For instance, some of you, when you go outside and it's raining, you come back outside and you say, it's raining like cats and dogs. Now, is it really raining cats and dogs? No. That would be awkward to see small kittens falling from the sky and large dogs, okay? Rover falling to the earth is not a good thing. We have all these phrases and these expressions that we use in our world to try to explain something. It gives a mode of expression to it. In the South, 
we love idioms. The South is full. When I moved here six years ago, I didn't know the joy I would find in hearing some of the idioms that you guys use. Like this idiom, that dog will hunt. That's right. I know what that means now. Okay, there's a lot of those things that you say that you don't even realize you're saying. Listen, when we talk about the term on the money, it's how can we take our life and direct it and use it in such a way, how can we take our resources and use them and direct them in such a way that at the end of our life, we hit this bullseye. We hit this bullseye. So here's the deal. It's not about how many arrows you have. Let me say this. You can have a hundred arrows and miss this target every time. But all it takes is one arrow aimed at the right place and suddenly you are on the money. You're on the money. We're going to be talking about that over the next couple of weeks. Here's the truth. Every person in this room, I believe, wants to live a life that's on the money. I do that. I I believe that. I believe every person. You really do want to make a difference with your life. You really, at the end of your life, you don't want to sit on your deathbed and say, ah, I wish I would have bought more stuff. You probably want to sit on your deathbed and say, look what the Lord did through my life. Wouldn't it be great to wake up on the other side of this life and wake up in eternity and realize that you lived your life on the money? So we're going to be talking about that idea. Here's what I know. I want my game, which is my life, to have aim, which is purpose. Everyone say, my game needs aim. Needs aim. My life, I want it to have aim. Because my life, my game needs to have aim. I believe God wants us to have that. Here's the other thing I want you to know. We all have been given a limited amount of time and a limited amount of resources to do something big with our life. How many of you realize your life is not going to last forever? Like there's going to be a day that literally they will take everything that you own and they will probably sell it in an estate sale. I remember when my mom passed away and my dad had passed away about four years before and I received a box in the mail from my siblings after the estate sale and it was everything that was left that wasn't in the estate sale that my mom wanted me to have. And here's the thing, I opened it up and the box was just full of pictures and memories and it was all about relationships. She didn't send me any cookware. She didn't send me any candelabras. She sent me memories that would last for eternity. I don't know about you, that's living your life on the money. We've all been given to the limited amount of time and a limited amount of resources. There's none of us in this room that can say, Sean, I am a bazillionaire and I have money running out my ears. I don't even know what to do with it. Let's talk after the service. (laughs) The truth is we have a limited amount of time and limited amount of resources to do something big that will last for eternity. And it's not about how much we have. It's about what we do with what we have. So if you have your Bible today, I want you to turn to the book of Luke chapter 16, the gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke chapter 16. Jesus is going to tell us a parable, but before we read the parable, I want you to understand the story before he tells the parable. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is trying to give us a picture of what it looks like and the way God sees people. God sees people differently than how we see people because we know in Luke 15, he talks about the story of a lost sheep, right? 
The shepherd left 99 to go find the one. And I just want to say this to you today. You may be here for the first time at church and maybe you're freaked out like you've never been to a church before. I want to tell you something about God. God is a leave the 99 for the one type of God. And he loves you and he knows you're here today and he wants to speak to you today. And, And so in Luke 15, he tells him that story. And then he tells him the story about a lost coin, a lady who had a very important coin and she lost it. So she literally dug through the sofa like many of you do looking for your keys, right? And she dug through it and look, and then she talks about a, he talks about a lost son. And he says, there was this son who went wayward, but all three stories are a picture of what God thinks about people. Now here's what's crazy about that. I often believe that Luke 16 is almost a continuation and almost a, hey, this is why Luke 16 is important because of what I just told you about in Luke 15. So we're going to look at this parable. The crazy thing about this parable today is this. It's known as the parable of the shrewd manager. It's one of the most obscure parables, and here's why. It's one of the only parables Jesus spoke that doesn't have a protagonist in it. Everyone in the story is an antagonist. It's an owner who had a lot of wealth and a manager who mismanaged it. And both of them are probably dirty. But Jesus tells us a story because he wants to tell us something big behind it. So in Luke chapter 16, verse 1, look at what it says. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. Now remember, Jesus had just talked about people, lost sons, lost coins. At that point, probably the people that were listening, some of them tuned out, but other ones tuned in. See, there was a mixed crowd in this moment, and as Jesus began to speak, there was a group of probably Pharisees there who were very wealthy, and all of a sudden, they didn't care about the story about a lost coin or a lost son, but suddenly Jesus made a statement that got their attention. He said, there was a man who was a manager who was accused of mismanaging his master's wealth. And here's why this caught their attention. Most of these guys were wealthy enough that they had people who tended their flocks, who took care of their businesses. They had managers and many of them knew that they didn't know exactly how their things were being managed. And suddenly Jesus says this and it catches their attention because they think, wait a minute, is my manager ripping me off? Is somebody stealing from me? And I love it in this moment because when Jesus says this, he gets their full attention and he wants to teach them a bigger lesson. Look at verse two. So he called him in, he called his manager in. He says, what's this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. In other words, you're fired. So he tells the guy, he calls him in. He says, you're fired like you've mismanaged what I ask you to manage. And look what happens. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. In other words, there's no way in the world that I'm gonna be able to go out and get a regular job. There's no way in the world I'm gonna go dig a ditch. There's no way in the world. I don't even know how to beg. Jesus continues with the parable, but look at verse four. This is what the manager says. He says, I know what I'll do. So that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. I love this part of the story because what we realize about this guy, even though we don't maybe know what his name is, I really think the guy's name was Stan because Stan suddenly had a plan. And he says this, what can I do now so that when this happens, people 
will still take care of me. People will still welcome me into their homes. So look what he does. Look at verse 5. So he called in each of his master's debtors, and he asked the first, how do you Oh, uh, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 80 or, or make it 800. What's crazy about that is this. He basically walks them in and he says, I know what I'll do. I will cut what all of these guys owe to my master and in turn, I will win their favor. And when I'm out of a job, I'll have a place to go. Way to go, Stan. What a plan, right? And it's crazy because at this moment, he's literally saying, hey, I'm gonna do something for you. And they're probably looking back at him and here's what they're saying. Hey, if you ever need anything from me, you just let me know. And the manager's probably like, yep, I sure will. I'm gonna need a place to live. But look what happens in verse eight. It says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. In other words, the master comes in, he looks at the manager and he sees what he did and he knows it was wrong. He knows it was dirty, but he's probably dirty too. And he looks at him and he says, that's pretty good. How did you figure that one out? And it was at that point that probably Jesus continued because Jesus was basically saying this. There's a bigger point to what I'm saying. And the funny part about it is Jesus knew exactly what the Pharisees were thinking. This guy mismanaged money and it wasn't even his. The Pharisees were probably saying this. This guy's going to go to jail. He's going to have to pay for what he did. They're going to lock him up. But Jesus goes a little bit further because he takes them to a place of teaching them a bigger point to how we live our life on the money. Look at the second part of verse eight. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Jesus got the Pharisees right where he wanted them. This guy can't mismanage what's not his. And then Jesus reminded them, have you noticed that sometimes people in the world are more shrewd in how they deal with their possessions than those of us who call ourselves Christian? So Jesus gets to the point. And in verse nine, he drops the hammer. Look what it says. He says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus isn't saying live unethical and be dirty. Here's what he's saying. Take what you have now, use it in a way so that when your life is over, when you walk into eternity, people will welcome you. Isn't that funny? Because we spend a lot of our life trying to use our possessions so that people will notice us on this side of eternity, don't we? But Jesus was actually throwing down three things he wants us to see about everything we have because everything we have is an opportunity to live on the money. The first one is this. Our money and possessions are a vehicle. Our money and our possessions are a vehicle. Who has a vehicle here? Raise your hand. How many of you drove today? Okay, I know that most of you probably didn't commute by bike 
or by hoverboard or whatever. Uh, You came here in a car today. You had a vehicle. You have the ability with your money and possessions to take someone from where they are and take them to a place they could never be. Jesus said, use your worldly wealth in such a way so that when your life is over, people on the other side of eternity will come up and welcome you. That's a strong statement when you think about it because the truth is everything we have is a vehicle. Why do you have the house you have? It's a vehicle. Why do you have the car you have? It's a ve- hey, some of you may not know this because maybe you drove to church today. There were four seats in your car and only one of them was taken. It's a vehicle. It's an opportunity. How can I use what I have? How do I use my money, my possessions, everything God's given me? You know what else is a vehicle in your life? Your influence. If you don't believe that's true, go on a mission trip with us and watch how people in a third world country or another place treat you because you are a citizen of the United States of America. You have influence. Everything we have, our money and possessions, they're a vehicle And in this moment, when Jesus says in verse 9, he says, use what you have in such a way that people will welcome you into eternity. What he's basically saying is this, don't live your life for what you have to show for it. Live your life for who you will have to show for it. It's kind of like this, okay? Like, this is like an estate sale. This is like a box full of things. And, and I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but most of your life when it's over, someone's gonna box it up and they're gonna show up at a house and they're gonna buy it and it's not gonna have the same meaning to them that it had to you. It's just not. And you say, oh man, but I wanna leave that for my kids. Listen, your kids probably don't need another candlestick holder. But here's what we do. Many times, because we don't see that our possessions and our money is a vehicle, we end up living our life for trophies when we have the opportunity to live for testimonies. I mean, think about it, right? Oh, Sean, you don't understand, man. I got that in third grade soccer. We were city champs. It meant so much to me. Really? Well, now it's rust and dust, bro. You got a lot of things in your life that are just collecting rust and dust, but these testimonies in your life, they will last for eternity. Those people, those children in Haiti that we ask you to text $10 for today, Those are testimonies. And until we see everything we have and everything we possess as a vehicle, we will always be bent toward living for trophies instead of living for testimonies. Listen, truth is, you got this and you got 16th place and you shouldn't have even gotten a trophy. You don't even need it. Our vehicle of our possessions allows us to live for testimonies that will last. So Jesus throws this down. I I, I always try to make this memorable for you guys so you can understand it because this is what Jesus was really saying in verse nine. Your stuff has no game if it has no aim. Your stuff has no game 
if it has no eternal aim. And I don't know about you, I don't want to spend my life taking the resources and the things that God's given me and aiming at nothing. I say it this way, if you want your game, your life to have aim, make sure that you invest in things that will outlive you. And here's why, because your life is seasonal. It just is. My life group, we were praying last week for two families who had either lost someone or who's about to lose someone. Your life's seasonal. The Bible calls it a vapor. I mean, it's here and it's gone. And we live as if we're gonna have all this stuff at the end of our life and the truth is, none of that matters. What matters is that we live our life on the money. So the things you have, they're just a vehicle. So Jesus goes on in verse 10 and he says this. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. I love it because Jesus was such a great teacher here. Here's really what he's saying. What we do with what we have has nothing to do with how much we have of it. You can be dishonest with a little or you can be dishonest with a lot. It doesn't matter. But here's what we think, right? I would be a better manager if I had more of it to manage, right? If I had more resources, I could do better. But the truth is, You'll do better at managing your resources when you become better at managing your resources. It's not always more. That's why I laugh because a lot of times people say, well, man, what difference does it make if I give $10 or $20 or $100? Here's what difference it makes. One more person will have an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. That's why it matters. Jesus said it it has nothing to do with what you have and how much you have of it. Because the truth is, it's just something more than that. He says it in verse 11. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Lives. I remember as a student pastor for 20 years, I would look out on Wednesday nights and I would see hundreds of teenagers. And I felt like God said, Sean, if you will be faithful and trustworthy, you'll see hundreds and thousands of teenagers' lives changed for eternity. It wouldn't have mattered to me if one kid showed up or 900. I didn't care. He says, worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And then in verse 12, he says, and if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Here's what Jesus was really saying. Not only is our money and our possessions a vehicle, but our money and our possessions are a verification. They're a verification. It's as if God is saying, I'm gonna give you a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity and the resources you have, they're limited, but I wanna test you and see what you do with it. Because if you're faithful with little, You'll probably be faithful with much. Listen, how many times have you prayed, God, would you give me a raise? God, would you give us more? We need a bigger house. Let me ask you a question. Why would the Lord give you a bigger house if you're not even willing to bring people into your house and help them understand who Jesus is? Oh, you don't understand, Sean. We need a larger garage. Yeah, I understand. Your cars are rusting. Come on, let's laugh. You know it's true. 
You look off, I just had a bigger garage. Listen, that's not gonna change eternity. Everything we have is a verification of what it is we will do with it. In fact, let me say it this way. How we manage what we have verifies our devotion to the one whom it belongs. So I say it this way. If you have a lake house and you call me and say, Sean, I would like for you to come spend the weekend at the lake house and you just have the lake house to yourself. And I show up at your lake house and I trash your lake house. And on Monday you call me and you say, Sean, I have no idea what you did. You are crazy like the wolf, but there are walls missing. There are shingles missing. There is glass missing. We didn't even have an open concept and now we do. You know what's a reflection of? my devotion to you. God looks at our resources and he says, everything I give you verifies your devotion to the one of whom it actually belongs. And what's funny is the Pharisees were starting to figure this out as Jesus taught through the parable. And he says, our money and our possessions, they're just a verification. You have a little small amount of time and a little window of opportunity to do something with it that can change and affect and impact Eternity, Because look what he says in verse 13. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both. Everybody say both. Both campuses say both. You cannot serve both God and money. So let me give you the picture, okay? I know you've never done this, but we've done this a few times. You go to eat a hamburger somewhere and you realize, I want a hamburger from here, and but I want French fries from here. Y'all ever done that? Some of you go, that is crazy. Okay, yeah, you have. So here's what you say. I want both, right? So here's, here's what we do with our life. We have our money and possessions and we say, I want all of God. I want God's blessing. I want his heart. I want his power. I want God's, I want God on my, and then we're over here going, and I want to be financially sound and I want to be this and I want to be rich. And he says, you can't have both. See, it's not a sin to be rich. In fact, I think it's awesome to be rich. If you're here today and God's blessed you financially, man, God bless you. I'm so glad you've worked hard. I'm sure God's done amazing things in your life. This has nothing to do with how much resource you have. It has to do with the deeper truth of what he says because what he's saying is this. Our money and possessions are a visual. They're a visual. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus knew when he said these words that the greatest competitor for your heart and my heart is our possessions. And I wrote a statement about a year and a half ago that I've kind of held on to. I was just in a study time and I want to say it to you. I wouldn't even plan on saying this today. God doesn't want your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And your heart was created for him And he's tired of sharing his heart, which is your heart, with something that was never meant to own you. It's his. God looks at us and he says, you can't have both. You can have one, but you can't have both. You can be rich, but it doesn't mean that money has you. He says, you can't serve both God and money. It's a visual of who owns our heart. It's kind of like a peek-in window, right? 
You just, it's, it's almost like each one of us have a window and he says, let me see how you manage your wealth and your possessions and I'm gonna peek into your heart and it's a visual of what you love the most. Just peeking in. Just peeking in. Because the truth is, everything we have, all of our stuff, it can never amount to who God is. You know, generosity, it's really never about our finances. It's about our heart, isn't it? This manager, he had just a little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity to do something that would last for eternity. You and I, we have a little bit of time and a little bit of resources to do something that will last for eternity. It's never a financial issue. It's a heart issue. How do you know that? Well, Jesus said it in verse 14 here and verse 15 as he closed up this story because he gave the story. And by this point, here's what happened. The Pharisees are probably walking out going, I knew I shouldn't have stayed for this story. Jesus did the bait and switch. I've been sitting here listening to him about a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. And all of a sudden he makes it about money and possessions. And, and, and here's what they were saying. I'm going to go down to the temple down the street because they don't make me feel uncomfortable about money. <laughs> but Jesus, man, he was a great teacher because here's what he said in verse 14. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus. Let me say, <laughs> if Jesus said it, don't sneer at it. And I'm going to explain why in just a second. Verse 15, he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. In other words, Jesus knew you're going to leave this place and you're going to go out and you're going to make everyone think that you are doing it for God and you're this in a bag of chips. And, and listen, folks, listen, if you're not being generous and giving to things that are growing God's kingdom, please don't come up to me and act like you can fake it. That's so self-righteous. Let's live on the money, man. Let's quit acting like we got arrows that are hitting the target when they're going, whew, whew. <laughs> God wants more for us than that because here's the truth. We've all been given a responsibility. In this story, the way it ended is Jesus looked at them and he says this in verse 15. He says, you're the ones who justify themselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. See, God knows your heart about your possession and your money, and he knows which one. And, and, and I don't know if you ever feel this way. Y'all ever been to a Braves game in about the seventh inning? They bring out the bucket and the, the deal, and they, they race around the track out there, and they tackle each other, and, you know, people are betting on which one's going to win. Y'all ever seen that? Y'all are out getting a funnel cake during that part. So they bring them out and, you know, hey, who's going to win? You know, and they're tackling each other. And, and what Jesus is saying is this. He said, there's always going to be something compete for your heart. Jesus said, I see what you're doing, but God knows your heart. God knows your heart. So it's really not about what you have. It's about what's in your heart. And we've all been given a responsibility. I love taking words and splitting them apart because they get a new meeting. We have an ability to respond. This manager, when he found out his job was over, he made preparations for his future. But the Pharisees, when they heard this story, they sneered at Jesus and they walked away. And here's what they really did. They did nothing. They did nothing. 
I don't know about you. I don't want to live my life for nothing. I want to live my life on the money. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in lots of people's lives. I want to make a difference for eternity. I want to make one that lasts. And here's why this is so important. The other day I was going through um, my neighborhood and um, one one of the houses in our neighborhood, they were having an estate sale. And as I passed it, like there's cars all the way down the street and people are going in and literally coming out with things. And so, you know, people, they're coming, people are coming out with things and the things they're coming out with belong to somebody else. And, and, and they're bringing things out and, and, and they had no meaning, but they're going in and they're buying an estate sale and they're walking out and they're walking out with creepy dolls, Right. And, and they're walking out with books that somebody else read and it meant something to them, but they're just gonna collect dust on a shelf, right? And, and, and don't know what this is, okay? But they walked out with it. And, and then, I mean, they even walked out with a Neil Diamond album, which is strangely weird. Um, they're walking out with upwards trophies and yeah, but nobody was walking out with this testimonies. You know, I don't know, maybe they were selling everything and they were going to take it all and use it to change people's lives. I don't know. But here's, here's what God really said to me, because I was in the middle of preparing this talk. Sean, don't live your life for your estate sale. Live your life for an eternal separate, uh, celebration. How can I be a funnel and a channel of everything that God's resourced me with? My time, talent, treasure, influence, everything. That when my life's over, there's nothing of this material world that can be left in a box that can be sold at an estate sale on a Tuesday afternoon. I want to challenge you guys as a church. You know, we begin our new budget year this year and we just launched this new Give 10 campaign. Man, you guys who have given to our church consistently, you have made this work. That's why every one of these names that are in this here, every one of these numbers, you've played a part. They represent your heart of generosity. But you know what I want for every person in this room? The opportunity to live on the money. You say, well, man, all we gave this year was, it doesn't matter the amount. What are you doing with the limited resources you have at the moment that you have them that could make a difference for eternity? Let's pray together. Maybe you came here today and you're like, you know what, Sean, I really do want to get this because I feel like money and possessions tend to own me more than God owns me. Well, I want to tell you the truth. Until Jesus has all of your heart, this world will probably continue to want to own you with possessions and fame and money and the things we sang about earlier. Like I said, Jesus, he's not after your money. He doesn't need it. He wants your heart. And when he has your heart, one of the visuals of that is you will be generous to him and to the things that are about his heart. It's just a visual window. It's a verification. It's a test. And it's just a vehicle. But some of you here today, you've never entered into that type of relationship with God. It's always been about coming and checking the box and trying to be religious and good. Listen, Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. And if you've never entered into that type of a relationship today, 
I want you to pray these words with me because what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ and begin a personal relationship. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. Remember, you can find more sermons just like this one on our website at southcrest.church. If you have any questions about our church, email us at hello at southcrest.tv. We'll see you next time.